So Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 28. Verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And when he said to them, which of you has a friend? will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I've nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Will you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armour in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit had gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Second reading comes from Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Verses 10 to 19. So Acts 9, verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, 
and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he does to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. We'll pray for Kev as he brings his word to us. Heavenly Father, as Kev comes with your word this morning, we pray that your word would find hearts ready to receive the seed of your word. Lord, that our hearts would be good soil, that your word might be able to press down deep. Lord, that good roots would take shoot and Lord, that we would bring forth life, that we would be like trees by living water, streams of water that would bring forth fruit in season. So Father, have mercy upon us, keep us from the way of the wicked, but guide us now, we pray, in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And so Lord, please equip your servant by your spirit to bring us your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Good thing, Dave. Just before we start, a number of people say that what comes from the pulpit is fact and you don't have to test it. But if there's something in this today that you want to test or research or look into, please feel free. Come and ask me, because I don't know everything. And the subject that we're talking about this morning, I struggle with. So obviously we're talking, the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning is the first 13 verses where the Lord's talking about how to pray. And the number of times that... um, that I've listened to other people pray and you think, wow, I wish I could pray like that. And Jesus' disciples must have felt the same way because they said to Jesus, teach us how to pray. You know, the disciples are Jewish, so they're used to praying three times a day. And you would think that walking with Jesus, they would know how to pray, but they didn't. Praying was not foreign to them, but as they watched, I think as they watched Jesus pray, they could tell that there was something more to Jesus' prayers. He'd come away refreshed, revitalized, and the words he used did not reflect the Jewish way of praying. Have you ever needed help in your prayer life? 
Have you ever watched or heard others pray and wanted to be, to be able to pray like them? Let's face it, prayer is a struggle, isn't it? What do I pray? When do I pray? How do I pray? I remember years ago, David Barclay actually gave a sermon on this, on the Lord's Prayer, and he gave us steps or, or a guide on how to pray. He told, he told us to call God Father, to give thanks for things, to ask for others and to ask for self and a whole range of steps. Some of the things I've remembered, but I can't remember everything that, that he told us back then. But I don't know about you, but I like to finish my day as I go to bed in prayer. And I say, Lord, thank you for today. The lovely weather you had, the, the lovely weather we had, even if it wasn't nice, because God gave it to us. And the good day we had today too. So I start well. And all of a sudden, something wakes me up and I'm conscious again. I realise I didn't finish. So I continue. Help us to have a good night's sleep. Help us to sleep straight through and to wake refreshed in the morning. Pins and needles in my feet wake me again or the cat sits on my feet. So I wake up and I continue again. And sometimes I think God must lose patience with me because I never finish with amen before I'm snoring again. Does anyone else have that problem? Or is it just me? Not just me? <laughs> but the disciples opened the door for us by asking Jesus to teach them to pray. So the content of prayer. Jesus reminds me of a tradesman who is wanting to pass on his skills to his juniors or the students. He says to his disciples, when you pray, say, Father. Why? Because we're talking to a person. Now, who of you have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ? Who of you have received Jesus? Who of you have believed in his name. In John 1.12 we read, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave the right to become children of God. You have, become, have been given the right to become a child of God. And when we become his children, he becomes our father, but not before. So if you have been given the right to become a child of God, you have the right to call God father. Prayer is personal. Prayer is intimate. Prayer is connecting. Prayer is communion. We are talking to our father. Now, people who don't know God, they don't call him father. They use terms like the man upstairs or the big fella or 
when it rains, send it down, Huey, and all this sort of stuff. And you think, well, do you really know who you're talking to? But I find it interesting that they still relate to God as being a person. But they don't have the right to call him Father. In ancient times, a person's name meant something. So that when you became a child of God, you received the name of Jesus, which meant that you received everything about him. In more recent history, your surname had something to do with your field of work. Names, they still have meanings in today's world, but it's not the same. The meaning's been more of, um, more of characteristics than anything. But it depends on where you look. I looked up my name just for interest's sake and I looked on three sites thinking, oh, yeah, it'd be the same on all three. No. Nah. One site said my name said masculine. Another site said handsome and beautiful. A third site said kind, gentle, a leader, caring, a gift of God. Which one is it? Depends where you, what country you are named in. But, you know, none of that means anything to me. But what means a great deal to me is that I am a child of God and I have received the name of Jesus. Does receiving the name of Jesus mean anything to you? So when we pray, we need to have a reverence, a fear and an intimacy Jesus' next instruction was to pray, hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed means um, holy or set apart, sanctified. He was instructing us to say, holy are you, God. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. So we are to begin our praying by magnifying the Lord. And we are told in verse 3 to ask for our daily needs. Do you hear that? Daily? Every single day. Now, this does not mean only food and clothing and all the essentials, but the daily need of safe travelling, the daily need of strength, the daily need of living our life for Christ, the daily need of time management, the daily need of health, the need to be able to sit comfortably and write comfortably in an exam. Laura and Lucy would, uh, Laura and Sarah would um, be able to relate to that with their studies. There are two parts to this verse. Sorry, missed a part. Verse four says, and forgive our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now, there are two parts to this verse. The first one is your relationship with God and the other one is your relationship with others. Now, you might well ask, haven't my sins been forgiven already? Because when I did receive him, when I believed in his name, he gave me the right to become a child of God. I took on Jesus' name and God blotted out all my sins from the book of life. Fair question. But it doesn't stop there. We need to ask God to 
continually forgive us so there are no barriers, no sin in the way, no distance that is keeping us from a relationship with God. And if you remember back to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven, he says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. There was another verse that I was uh, trying to find, but I couldn't find it, where it says, um, if you have, have um, a grievance against your brother, go and sort that out before you, you share in the Lord's Supper. But I couldn't, um, I couldn't find it in the time that I had. Our human nature can create a barrier between God and us. I know that when I sin, I'm embarrassed to come before God and ask forgiveness. There is a barrier with my relationship with God until the relationship is restored. And the same applies to human relationships. When I've done wrong by Julie, there is a barrier, there is a silence until I have asked forgiveness and the relationship is restored. It takes time. Now, on the flip side of that, if you are wronged by another person and the situation is toxic, get out of that situation and be safe. This gives you a distance so that you can process and think a bit clearer. It also gives you the freedom to be free to forgive the other person, but not necessarily return to that situation. It's not an easy thing to do. Forgiveness is not jumping back into the situation that got you in that place in the first place, but is releasing the debt. Unforgiveness can eat away at our lives. So we are to ask God to forgive our sins and repent so there is no distance between us and God, but also that we reciprocate this forgiveness to others as well. And the last part of verse 4 says, and lead us not into temptation. Now, this does not imply that God might otherwise entice us to do evil. In James 1, 12, 15, we read, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. God does, however, allow his people to be tested as to their faithfulness. The testing is a better translation than temptation, though severe Testing may be the occasion for one to sin. Lead us not into temptation is asking that God keep his children from falling away during trial. It is asking that we might be delivered from the temptations, tests and challenges that lead to sin. The persistence of prayer 
Jesus then tells a parable in verse 5 that seems to, well, when I first read it, I found it a little bit confusing. But when I looked into it a little bit more clearer, it, when I looked into it a little bit more, it became clearer. Let's just look at verse 5 in Luke 11. And he said to them, which of you has a friend? Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a loaf for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are in bed with, with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will get, not get up and give him anything because he is, he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So this unexpected visitor arrives late at night. They've travelled a long distance and have not eating. But you haven't done the grocery shopping. So you don't have anything to offer him. And in Western culture, the thing is to give them a drink and something to eat, make them comfortable, be hospitable. So you go next door and you ask to borrow some food because there is no 24-hour shopping. You knock on the door and you can hear and you know, say, go away. It's late. We've just got the kids settled in bed and we're in bed too. Now, in Western culture, mum and dad have their own bedroom. The kids have their own bedroom. So if somebody knocks on the door late at night, generally the kids are not disturbed. And we were told as young parents, you know, it's not a good idea to bring your kids into the same bed as you because that'll develop bad habits and they'll want to sleep in your bed all the time. Not a good idea after all. Parents need their space. But in the times of Jesus, the houses didn't have multi-rooms like we do. They only had one room, maybe two. So when the kids went to bed, everybody went to bed. There was no TV, there was no radio, and everyone was in the same bed. So if the head of the household got up, everyone would be disturbed and woken. It'd take time to get everyone settled again. So the purpose of this parable was to show that if we are persistent in prayer, if we are consistent in prayer, then we will see things happening. So the man keeps on knocking. So the neighbour neighbor gets up, not because he's a friend, but he wants to get rid of that bugging person at the door so he can get back to bed. The man had impudence or a shameless persistence, a determination to knock and to keep on knocking. Jesus said in verse 9 and 10, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. 
For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Does Jesus say we only have to ask, seek and knock for a certain time? We tend to have our expectations. We believe that we should get an immediate answer and when we don't, we tend to say, well, I asked. We throw up our hands and we say, I didn't get an answer, so that's it. But, you know, I, I think of some people of our church um, and other churches who are prayer warriors, who have the ability to pray, pray and pray some more and I look at them in awe and wonder, what's the difference? Why can't I do that? Why don't I have, have that ability? Why can't I pray like them? We need these people in our churches for their example, but also for their shameless persistence. You know, they have a communion with God that is real. And Jesus had the same communion with God. We need to pray until we pray. Seems a funny statement. We need to pray until we pray. D.A. Carson said, if we pray until we pray, eventually we come to delight in God's presence, to rest in his love, to cherish his will. In Western society, we urgently need this advice for many of us in our praying like nasty little boys who ring the doorbell and run away before the, anybody answers. In other words, we need shameless persistence or pray until we break through. The object of prayer. Who is the object of prayer? Obviously, the one to whom we're praying, God, our Father. Verse 11 and following highlight the difference between the character of our heavenly Father and our earthly Father. Let's have a look at verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to do good gifts to their children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? As we know, our fathers and us as parents have been corrupted by sin. But even with that corruption, most parents will give their child what they need. I say most because most will. Some, however are so evil that they use their children for their own gain. I heard, on the, heard a lady on the radio the other day saying that her mother used her as a prostitute from the age of nine to make money for her mum. It was not until the age of 40 did she experience tears, love and worth. And I cried when I heard that story. In comparison, how much more can you expect God to give you good things? Verse 13, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In Matthew 7, 11, 
says a very similar thing. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Are we afraid to ask because we think God won't answer? Do we treat God like we used to treat our parents? Oh, I know the answer. I know what the answer will be, so I'm not going to ask. Now, when I was in sixth class, I remember um, that my, my year had the opportunity to do a day excursion down to Canberra. I knew mum and dad couldn't afford it, so I didn't give them the permission slip. I just kept it to myself. Somehow, I um, can't remember how mum and dad found out, but somehow they found out. And I was questioned as to why I didn't give them a permission slip. And I said, well, I know you can't afford it, so I wasn't going to bother you with it anyway. I was just trying to help. Needless to say that mum and dad found the money from somewhere and I joined the rest of my year with a day trip to Canberra. Do we treat God like that? Sometimes we think we know what God will say, which doesn't line up with what we want, so we don't ask. But if we really knew the character of God, if we understood the character of God, we would not wait to get into his presence. But God does not need to give us all the information either. You remember the reading that Dave read from Acts 9, Verse 10, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision, a man named Ananias, come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, for how I have heard from many about this man, but how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instru instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus appeared to you on the road, by which you came, has sent me, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was strengthened, and was baptised, and was taking food. He was strengthened. So God didn't give all the information to Ananias. He just said, go to the street, name straight, find the house of Judas and look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. Ananias goes, no way. I know about this Saul. I know his history. I know what he's all about. But God didn't go into a detailed description of how Paul was converted to Jesus Christ. He just said, just go to this street, go to this house, find this man 
because he is praying. Now, Paul was a Pharisee. Again, he was used to praying three times a day. So he wasn't a stranger to prayer. Yet he remained a stranger to God. You know, we can pray and still not know God. Recently, I was talking with Joseph Hanna. Um, his mum passed away uh, in the last couple of months. And he was asking for prayers for his mum, for his dad and his family. And I'm thinking, why would I need to pray for his mum? His mum's already passed away. Nothing more can be done as far as her as eternity was concerned. Um, I know she had a faith, even though it was um, through the Catholic Church. So I, I felt that I didn't need to pray for Joseph's mum. So I asked Joseph if I could pray for the family right there and then, and he said, yeah, he would love that, but let me pray first. And Joseph prayed a prayer that sounded like a prayer of gratitude that, that he'd come across somebody who had a similar faith to his mum. Then I prayed for him, his dad and his family that they would see and experience God's love and comfort at their time of grieving and that they would encounter the same Jesus his mum knew. Praying specifically for others to cry out from the depths of our heart that God would touch their lives, that God would work his will in their lives, that they would have an encounter with Jesus. That's an intimate prayer. And it's not just religion, not just praying. But when Saul had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, he became a new creation. And he was really praying. He was praying intimately. Have you encountered Jesus? Do you have an intimate relationship with Jesus? The cry of the heart is the cry of intimacy. We are saying, I need you now and I'm not going to make it without you. It's not just religious prayers that don't mean anything. God said to Ananias, behold, he is praying. So Ananias went, and we all know the rest of the story. So to wrap this up, have you been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ? Have you received Jesus? Have you believed in his name? Are you a child of God? You have the right to call God Father. You have the right to be intimate with your Heavenly Father. You have the right to ask of God and to keep on asking. I want to be one who is really praying, who has intimacy and communion with God, just like Jesus. What about you? Lord, 
you've given us your word, Lord, we pray that you'll apply it to our lives and that we can have that intimacy, that, that relationship with you where we can just talk with you all the time. In Jesus' name, amen.